I think as I've continued to process, yeah, I'm just like, there was moments of like fear, like, oh man, I've looked up to that person. I've walked with these people. Like I've seen them. That can yeah. happen to them. This is Jeremiah Niangor. I asked him to share a bit on what his experience has been like leading in the wake of news about different pastors falling. Here's what he shared. And in the moments of insecurity where you're like, God, did you call me to this? I'm sure most leaders or young leaders have had this. Like, God, are you sure? Like, I don't know if I'm cut out for this. In those, like, I guess schools of thought, it's very easy to become fearful. Like, man, not only do I not feel called to this, but if if the devil can get these people that I've looked up to, then what makes me think like Mm. that I'm like not susceptible to that. And I think I've just come to realize that we're all susceptible to those things. I think we all on some level get what Jeremiah is saying. The feelings of fear, grief, insecurity. It's actually responses like his that caused us to want to develop a mini-series like this. A series that holds up the examples of faithful pastors in the Canadian church. Now, If you haven't yet heard part one of Searching for Faithful Pastors, I encourage you to pause here and to check that out. But for those of you who already have, thanks for coming back. My name is Jaden, and I'll be walking us through this second and final episode as we continue to explore what emerged from our interviews with Jeremiah, Jason, Helen, Murray, Daryl, and Sharon. But before we jump in, here's a quick word from our sponsor. One thing we love about Compassion Canada is their commitment to the local church and to local church leaders. It's really something built into their identity, initiatives, and priorities as an organization. And that's one reason we're happy to partner with them at CCLN. In the 25 countries where they serve children living in poverty, Compassion invests in local churches, pastors, and volunteers to equip and empower the church and to reach their neighbors with practical care and the good news of Jesus. Here in Canada, it's the same. Compassion is wholly committed to investing in Canadian local church leaders. In particular, during these times when refreshment and connection and refueling is so needed, Compassion does things like national pastors calls and giving away free resources for pastors. We know you'll find rich connection in reaching out to the Compassion Church team. They'd even love just to hear from you and pray for you. And you can get in touch with them today by heading to Compassion.ca. That's Compassion.ca. Now, while talking with Jeremiah, I noticed that the news of different pastors falling didn't just impact him negatively, but there seemed to be a positive movement that came from it as well. I think the best way to describe it is there was this deeper conviction for Jeremiah to become a holy person. And then we've also kind of started like another kind of group where we're asking these questions. They're like, I don't know what they're, they're called holiness club questions. The questions Dude, that no like way. John Wett- Yeah. Do you know what it is? Okay. Let me explain my excitement. In my calendar, every Thursday morning, you'll see a meeting called Holy Club. Now, I didn't come up with this name, and neither did Jeremiah. The Holy Club was a name given to John and Charles Wesley's group by some of their contemporaries, actually trying to mock their emphasis on certain devotions. The heart of the Holy Club, though, was to do what the Bible called all disciples to do, to fast, to study, to pray— care for the widow, the prisoner, the sick, and also to put their lives under strict review. 
And the strict review came at the mercy of these 22 questions that all members who were a part of the group were expected to respond to. And Jeremiah will share some of those questions. But first, what are the chances that we're both in a group like that by the same name? I don't know. I might have overreacted in the moment. I probably did. Let's go back to Jeremiah. Some of the questions like, I'll just list some of them for you. Am I consciously or unconsciously creating the impression that I am better than I really am? In other words, am I a hypocrite? Um, Am I honest in all my acts and words or do I exaggerate? Do I confidently pass on another or pass on to another what was told of me in confidence? Uh, can I be trusted? Am I a slave? Am I a slave to dress, friends, work, or habits? Am I self-conscious, self-pitying, or self-justifying? The questions went on and on. Questions that invite eyes on the private life, identify blind spots, put strong boards over common pitfalls, feed the desire not to be impressive, but to be known. In Jeremiah's words. So, yeah, just trying to raise the bar there. Go after righteousness. I asked Jason what he's seeing in terms of a growing concern for holiness and deep community like that across the country. He shared what he's noticing and some thoughts on what it could look like to take more steps in that direction. I don't think it's a new thing, but I do think we are becoming aware in our generation again of this invitation to walk deeply with a few brothers or sisters, like to let people in. And so I have some good friends who meet nice and early and they they pray and they seek God together and hear about pastors meeting monthly or whatever it might be together. And I think this is becoming incredibly important. I think it's a few things are at play there. One is for a long time, we're waiting for the expert to tell us how to do more effective ministry. And I think we feel like there's no one that's just going to like give us 10 top tips. And so you're looking more at peers to wrestle out what it looks like. And I think other people are also keenly aware that isolation and lack of accountability or lack of being known, like truly known, is really hurting people. And then on the flip side, the positive is like when you do feel like seen and known amongst people who get your world and uh, that kind of vulnerability and safety can actually bring a lot of like joy and healing in the ministry. But I also think that with it, like you can show up to a weekly thing and still not let people in, still not actually be honest with where you're at, your fears, your doubts, your concern, your sin, whatever it might be, your longings, your dreams. And so it's not, I think I heard someone recently saying it's like permission and proximity. You need to be in the room. I think it was Tim Chaddock um, talked to her, like it's permission. Like you need to give people permission into your life and proximity so you can actually see it. And oftentimes we have one or the other, like give a lot of people permission or like a close group of friends permission, but they don't actually see the inner parts of your life. Or there's people that are up close, but you haven't actually given them permission to speak into it. And I think that there's an invitation there to like go deep with a few uh, that actually know you actually let them in, let them speak into your life. And I think it's about stirring the embers of your passion for God, like like really seeking God together, really reminding one another in our calling first to Jesus as a disciple and then to the work he's called us to in our context. I think there might be a woman or a man listening that are, are thinking like they don't even know how to navigate, stepping deeper into like that idea of being known mm-hmm. as a pastor. Yeah in a congregation, in a church, what would you like encourage them in, in terms of like next steps or a first step? Yeah. 
I think you just have to take a risk and start somewhere. I think, you know, I started this small group with a couple other pastors on Zoom in the beginning of the pandemic. And um, I didn't really know them super well at the beginning. And it was like, let's just give it a go. And it's like, well, how do you start? Well, why don't you share a bit about your story? What are you going through? And just kind of went around. And it was like five or six or seven months in, you're like, we really know each other. There's real vulnerability. There's real encouragement. There's real, and then you're still getting to know each other. It's not the same as a lifelong friend. Of course not. Um, My encouragement is like, do it intentionally. I think we have like this obsession with it's got to be organic. It's got to come about naturally. And it's like, well, farming's like the perfect example. It's like relationships do grow organically, but you, you set the environment, like you set, you, you plant the seed, you till the soil, you create the environment, you put it in the sun. I think it's like the environment is like intentional time and space with people that people come ready to share or wanting and willing. And then the organic stuff does happen, like real the spirit speaking into one another's life through each other or breakthrough or moments but it's the intentionality of setting the soil. And so it's like, you don't have to wait for someone to give you permission. Like, I think like anyone listening could call any group of couple pastors or a couple friends, other followers of Jesus, say, hey, could we meet once a week, once a month, talk about following Jesus together? Would you do that with me? And um, see where it goes. Now, before I sat down with Daryl and Sharon, they each had one thing they wanted to double down on. For Daryl, it was what we heard in part one about faithfulness not being confused with perfection. For Sharon, though, it was not just how important their community was in general for spurring them on towards faithfulness, but specifically their marriage. Here's Sharon. I felt the Lord has called has called us together, that he put us together as husband and wife. We both experienced that very clearly. And we both wanted to serve him and and dedicate our life to following him and so we but we did that in partnership and um, we encourage one another hold each other up um, and live lives so that the other person can be faithful and uh, and in whatever that looks like so I think that's been a real key ingredient, partly, too, because God created marriage to reflect his relationship within the Trinity, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there's a community, and he created marriage in his image, and that's to reflect who he is. And I think that's um, been a real key for us in our faithfulness toward him is that you have to be faithful toward one another. Um, sometimes you think you can, that God's not seeing, but boy, your spouse sees you, you know, <laughs> and you see things in yourself as you relate to one another. And uh, it, it just um, helps us to be have more integrity, honesty, um, and again, to go through this life in partnership. And I think, you know, for people who, are in ministry as singles, there needs to be a relationship too in a community. They have to have that community around them and someone, um, at least one other person that walks with them to support them, encourage them. Um, I think that's critical in being faithful to God. We can't 
we can't do it alone. And he's created his, he's created the church, the body of Christ for us to live out his purposes in the midst of that. You know, Paul talks about marriage and singleness in 1 Corinthians 7. And he talks about it might be better not to be married. You've sure read that because he says in uh, 1 Corinthians 7, 35, um, I say this for your own benefit, not to put restraint upon you, but to promote what is seemly and secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. So he's saying there, it might be better to be single so you can have undistracted devotion to the Lord. And I was reflecting on that years ago, decades ago now, and I thought, oh, that's the purpose of marriage. My job is to nurture Sharon's undistracted devotion to the Lord. And that, I'm going to find myself repeating myself. I think that's the bottom line. Uh, to be even more candid about that, I want that for her. But there are times when we're worshiping together on Sunday morning, and I see her worshiping the Lord, and there's a devotion to Him that is deep and rich, and I feel threatened. Like, wow, there's a deeper devotion than her deep devotion to me. And I catch myself going, oh. And then I go, that's what I prayed for, is that he's number one in her life. I'm number two, I'm the number one visible one, but he's got to be number one in her life. And so I go, okay, mission accomplished. <laughs> Don't feel threatened by your wife worshiping her heart out before the Lord. Anyway, I haven't told you about no, that. No, you didn't. That's, I we're tell, always learning new things about each other. I could tell it was fresh information. <laughs> yes, I could yes. tell. I wish that everyone see, could see the, the shock, the smiles. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But I worked that through. And, and um, that's what I'd want for other couples. Okay, I mentioned in part one that there is one theme in particular that I didn't expect to come up heading into these interviews. And I'm not trying to blow it out of proportion. It's not some secret, but it seemed integral. And the more I thought about it, the more I got why. It was the choice to forgive people who inevitably hurt you as you pastor. The choice to keep your love for the bride intact with forgiveness. This next clip is a story from Murray. 22 years ago, when the church that we had pastored for a number of years had given our heart and soul to in so many different ways. Uh, not, not great pay, not, you know, it was a poorer church. And whatever happened, and I still don't know all the details, the board invited me in and said, we, we want you to resign, you're done. Uh, no warning, no, no reason given. The church was growing, we just built a new building, everything was looking great, highest numbers, greatest, you know, money coming in. Something happened that I still don't know about. And so my dad had always said, if you lose the confidence of the board, just resign. And so I did. And of course, that took us into a two-year period of waiting for another church. I filled in. I taught at a Bible college. I did a number of things. But I remember the night that I came home after being asked to, be, asked to resign. And of course, I'm angry. I'm hurt. I'm I get home, I tell my wife what's happened. We cry together. And I remember God saying to me that night, tomorrow morning you get up and you go to every one of those board members and in some way convey that you're forgiving them. 
It's the last thing in the thing in the world I wanted to do. I, I remember lying in bed one night wanting to flatten all their tires. Um, rather juvenile way of dealing with <laughs> with hurt, but I did. I got to four out of the five. The fifth one I never got to. And often I realized later that if I had not forgiven them and allowed bitterness into my heart, I would not be pastoring for the next 20 years. So sometimes it's it's little things. It's not just the temptation of, of money or or sex or pride. Sometimes it's just allowing bitterness to get into your heart because somebody hurt you. Did something that you thought was unfair, uncalled for. And that bitterness starts in and over time if you don't deal with it, it will take you out as well. Daryl and Sharon shared a similar story. After following God's call to move jobs and communities, they both left a thriving church behind. And when they left, things unfortunately began to unravel. It was devastating. It got bad enough that the church brought in a consultant to develop a report that might help bring some understanding and direction. And after weeks and weeks of interviews and meetings, the report finally came out. And it had Daryl as the one to blame. Daryl really was slandered in this report. Horrible things said about him. So I contacted the consultant to say, you know me. Why'd you let this through? Da, 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 da. I said, um, how many people did you talk to? He gave me a number. I said, I can tell you, I'll give you all their names. He says, how did you know that? So they didn't like me when I was there. I said, did you contact the following? No, no one ever told me about those things. I said, I think you need to do the report over. I can't do that. It's already out. I said, I think you just need to have a volume or, you know, part two. Did it. Really didn't help. And it was so painful. So there are many people of that church who would wonder, did we ever care for them? We never, how come Johnson's never contacted us? We weren't allowed to. So the pain of that was just excruciating. And especially my name being just so defamed so probably their sisters or brothers listening in on that who face similar kinds of things what do you do well we were finally led (laughs) to take that report and go to queen elizabeth park sharon brought her little guardian spade along dug a hole And we ripped that report up into as many little pieces as we could and spoke over it, John 12, 24. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground, it dies. It abides alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So we just buried that. We said, Lord, we can't carry this bitterness. We can't carry this pain anymore. So if we ever go walking at Queen Elizabeth Park, I can show you (laughs) that little spot. There's all kinds of flowers there now. (laughs) But... So we've suggested that to other mm-hmm. leaders for other issues. Yes. That as an act of forgiveness. Um, in fact, I even feel bad talking about it because I have for, I've forgiven. There's an act of forgiveness and an act of letting go. You do something tangible. Mm-hmm. Yes. Boy, it was powerful. We just, I just cried and cried and cried and cried and cried. But we went, walked down the hill to our house free. Free, Yes. 
And every time we think of that situation, I think of the stuff buried in the ground. It was just a way of us taking it and just saying, Lord, this is, this is yours. This we're, we're not going to let this hold, hold on to our hearts anymore. We want to walk forward. In Fuller Professor Robert Clinton's book, The Making of a Leader, he identifies six stages for how he thinks God develops a pastor over their lifetime. And the sixth and final stage, the stage we all want to get to, he refers to as afterglow. I want to focus in for a second on this stage. Afterglow is where your ministry is no longer what you do, it's who you are. Just being in your presence is the gift and you get to bask in the afterglow of a life well-lived. Clinton writes that most pastors never mature beyond stage three. And in his survey of over 3,000 Christian leaders in scripture, church history, and contemporary culture, only 30% end well. Only 30% get to afterglow. I think that's why it feels so easy to not only honor Helen, Murray, and Daryl, but just to simply be around them Their presence carries with it this profound ministry in the kingdom. I asked Jason to share a bit about what it's been like being up close to someone like Daryl, someone who I think is living in the reality of this sixth and final stage. I spend time with Daryl because of his life, like who he is, not the reach of his ministry. Like I first got interested, like I wanted to connect with Daryl because he's one of the best preachers I've ever heard. I was like, this guy's preaching is amazing. But that's not what we talk about at all when we're together. Like sometimes we get in like a cool conversation about like preaching and we both love how sermons are structured and rhetorical moves and things like that. But mostly like when we're talking together about pastoring or whatever it might be, we're never talking about preaching technique. It's literally just his life. I just see a life of faithfulness, a life of Christ-likeness. Um, I remember Eugene Peterson, I read in his, one of the biographies, like his desire, like expressed in his journal was to be a saint. And I really feel like that's what I've seen in Daryl, like this deep longing. I was just with him the other day and he's like, he's just talking about this like new, like in his seventies longing for holiness. And he says, the reason why I feel like I'm longing for holiness, I've never been more aware of my sinfulness. I'm sitting with someone who to me represents this like picture of such a set apart life. And he's just modeling this humility that comes from just walking with Jesus. And I think I keep waiting for like a silver bullet with him or like some like, what's the secret? What's the secret? And oftentimes when we're together, he's like, well, we should just stop. I'll come with all my questions. He's like, why don't we just stop and just open the Bible together? And we always just keep moving along. We read Psalm 119. It's it's like a super long chapter. And we just pick up wherever we ended up off the last time. And sometimes we'll talk about, and there's these real epiphanies. And other times like, okay. I think just for him, he's like, Every morning is he's in the word when he's with people he's discipling. Let's open the word, let's pray. You know, limit distractions and draw near to God and prioritize that in your life. And I think I'm just more convinced than ever that the things that lead to long-term, joyful, not without pain, but joyful ministry um, is like the same stuff that it's always been. Time in the Word, real friendships, confession, prayer, willingness to be honest with yourself and others. And I just keep seeing that again and again at work in Daryl's life. 
I asked Daryl partway through dinner what he felt like the Lord was inviting him into in his final years. Here's what he said. So um, give it away is the posture. Just give it away. Give away as much as I can. And um, I'll say to people, that's why we're doing the CCLN ministry. I would love to have emptied my file cabinets that I showed you a little while ago. Uh, I'd like in a few years that to be totally available. Not Now, I'm not saying because I've got great stuff, but I've worked hard and I can save you a lot of work. If you're going to do a series in Philippians, just whip out my files there and, <laughs> and that'll get you started. Now, you've got to do it your own way. And, and, and by the way, the communicators of this generation will do it better than I do. Uh, so give it away. Now, uh, lately now, th- there's a follow-up to the give it away, and that's get out of the way. And that's harder. Um, that doesn't mean stop. That doesn't mean I'm not involved. But it means I'm no longer to be, uh, I no longer am to think in terms of being upfront. Uh, but now really behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, that, that's taken a little while to get there because for 50 years I've been up front and it, it, it's been hard to then adopt a new way of being when I'm not up front. But I really like this being behind the scenes. And so um, I'm available to a number of people, as you know, and um, I just try to be faithful with that trying to be more strategic. And that's how you and others can be praying for me. And I'm thinking through how especially to give the help to young pastors I did not have. And that is, how do you really live a holy life in your soul when no one's looking? And um, yeah, I've been doing a lot of reflecting on that lately and kind of want to put <laughs> put together this little booklet or a little journal or something, excuse me, that um, I could work with young pastors on and something that could be multiplied and then you could use it with the, the next generation. Um, so that's, that's give me, how. Give me one, one theme that you feel like will emerge in that kind of booklet. Yes. Okay. I, I was just sharing that with, with uh, one of our mutual friends recently. We talk about spiritual I got the sense from Daryl that he could talk for a long, long time. He had a grin on his face, joy in his eyes, and there was this energy in the room in all that he was saying. Some of you who have met him face to face, you felt this before. Sitting there, it was like there was no way his final years were going to be wasted. It almost felt like I couldn't get him to stop sharing. And I didn't want him to. We're committed at CCLN to coming alongside pastors in all parts of their ministry journey to see more pastors become faithful, abiding, deep leaders in Jesus' church. If these episodes serve to spur you on towards that kind of end in some way, please consider sharing them with a friend or a pastor you know. That would mean a lot to us. Now, there are quite a few thank yous in order. I want to say a huge thank you to everyone we interviewed. Helen, Jeremiah, Murray, Daryl, Sharon, Jason, we're all so grateful for your words and your example. And from our team here at CCLN, I want to thank Josh Thompson and Anne Miranda for holding those interviews. And I also want to thank Daniel Rowe and Will Lee for your work producing these episodes from front to back. 
Now, these episodes and all of the content we share from CCLN is only made possible because of generous individuals and churches who have decided to partner with us financially. If you want to join that group of regular givers, we've made that simple for you to do. Just head to cclnca slash partner to find out more about what that could look like for you. And lastly, if you're a pastor in Canada, we would love to just connect with you specifically, to hear your story, to encourage you, to pray with you. We'll take any of it. So just reach out to us at contact at cclnca or shoot us a message on Instagram and we'd love to set up a time to connect. Okay, that's it from us. Thanks for tuning into this little series on the Canadian Church Leaders Podcast. Bye for now.